Hello, everybody, and welcome to Returning to Tradition. As always, I'm your host, Chris Dixon, joined with... Your better host, Emma Singletary. That's right. We did it on the first take, Sacraments Part 2, Holy Orders, Anointing of the Sick, Matrimony, and Reconciliations. out of order thing that you could have gotten. I'm like, I know you like Holy Orders the most, but like that was totally out of... I think you did Holy Orders, Anointing of the Sick, Marriage, Reconciliation. Doesn't matter. I got I got all four of the ones that we're doing. Are you Anointing of the Sick before you get married because you died? I've got all four ones that we're talking about <laughs> yes, today. We, so, um, that's, yeah, that's so today we're going to be talking about the sacraments. Um, so I think... We should just go in order. I think we should start with reconciliation, penance, whatever you want to call it, you know? So, like, what is that? Uh, Yeah, so reconciliation is the sacrament that we use to reconcile ourselves to God. That was so good. You're not supposed to use the word in the definition. (laughs) (laughs) But it is what it is. I mean, that's... why do we... I mean, you, you've heard it called confession. You've heard it called penance. Uh, both of that is part of the sacrament of reconciliation. So, um, of course, you're, you confess your sins, you're contrite for your sins, then you do penance um, at, in an effort to sin no more. Again, the, it's only necessary if you have a mortal sin, uh, which I think was talked about on some podcast back in season one. Maybe. I've listened um, to all of those. Have you? Yeah, I didn't think you <laughs> um, But mortal sin, you have to go to confession. You should go to confession often, required to at least once a year, uh, especially during this time of Lent, which I think it'll still be Lent when this podcast comes out. So if you go um, to STM, weekly confession at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. So, yeah. Usually pretty packed. So, as Catholics, we believe in this whole thing called reconciliation, confession, penance, whatever you want to call it. So, I think the biggest question, and I do, I I even think that this is a question not only for people who aren't Catholic, but also for Catholics themselves. Why is it necessary to go confess your sins to a priest? Why not just say them in your prayer privately? Like, why do we, why is this an actual sacrament? Yeah, um, let's put it this way. How many of you, guys, this is more applicable to guys than girls, but it's a great example. How many of you guys have considered um, asking out a girl and ran the scenario over in your head how many times? But that's not the same as asking the girl out, like physically, in person, face-to-face, person-to-person. Sidebar, guys, don't text ask out. It's just yeah. No. I mean, uh, <laughs> thank you. For ask that. him in person. Now go back. completely taking away from the analogy, but in a priest. <laughs> the, the point. The point is that uh, there is value in that person-to-person confession interaction um, that. You can't find elsewhere. It, it requires courage, which mm-hmm. is one of the things we get from the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it requires you to basically be like, be truly sorry, like yeah. truly have to admit it. That's like 
the most practical answer. Um, in terms of theologically, it's because the priest is in the person of Christ, and so you're going directly to Christ as directly as you can on this earth to Christ himself in a human body to confess your sins. Um, and so it's the best you're going to get. Well, yeah, and I liked, I think it was Father, I believe it was Father Jim. It might not have been, but someone recently had the analogy. Actually, it might, it might have been you. Gosh. Anyways, someone in the faith said something like, it, we were talking about original sin. And it was like, if you have the stain of original sin, you know, the devil has more power over you. In the same sense, if you have the stain of sin on you and you're not wiped clean and you're not going to confession and you're not receiving the grace that there is through the forgiveness in a confession, then that sin still has power over you. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good stuff. So uh, go to confession. What? This is not related to times as these at all, but... Say there were people who had objections to the Catholic faith due to things that used to happen in the past with confessions and indulgences and paying to be forgiven. Um, What do we say to those? (laughs) So I'm not sure if anybody ever charged to go to confession, uh, like charged money to go to confession. But yeah, there were selling of indulgences. Um, Yeah, the church is is human like the church is perfect in that it's not human but the church is also human and thus imperfect um, and yet the church is both human and perfect um, and those are the two outward qualities of it um, despite like each of the other two seeming to be opposites like humanity and perfection are opposite of one another and so in the course of the church's history, we could go into a number of things, be it the selling of indulgences or the crusades or inquisitions or forced conversions or <laughs> you name it. Yeah, we've uh, done it. <laughs> mo- most recently, the child sex abuse crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things are very, very bad. Yes. Um, but it doesn't negate the power of the church. And so yes. the power of the church that Christ has given it um, is why, um, you know, confession still holds, why even if the priest is a bad person, it's still the Eucharist because God acts outside of that. And so um, so in the same way for confession in all the sacraments. So. Okay, so then I feel like that's all there is really for confession. Yeah. It's a great um, sacrament. You can receive it as much as you want. Yeah, basically, don't be too scrupulous. But um, <laughs> I think it's the the lost sacrament of the church. So I agree. I don't um, think I understood so, how real it was until I got here. Yeah, you can receive the sacrament of reconciliation often. In, in my opinion, you should receive it. It should be the second most frequent sacrament to the Eucharist. I mean, that's not really my opinion. That's kind of like a fact, but. Like, ideally, you you have to go once a year. That's required by the church. But ideally, you'd be going at least a few times a year 
and then like gradually ramp that up. And that's how it was in my life. I went a few times throughout the year and then it became like once a month and then like every other week or every week, depending on, you know, the state of my life and sins that were weighing heavy on my heart or whatever. Um, and then once you start getting into the habit of it, just like any habit, it's a good habit. And you realize um, how good it is. And you realize how good it is for you just to get it off your chest and then you feel so clean afterward. And you um, just get that grace over yeah, that sin. It's what harm is there in going to confession is kind of the question I would pose back. And also, um, the seal and confession has huge power. Um, and I mean, the priest can't say anything. Anybody who overhears the confession can't say anything under pain of like extreme mortal sin and excommunication. So like, Probably probably not a good idea to share anything. I actually um, don't think anyone's ever at least here, you can't overhear anything. If you go to St. If you Joe's, are, you oh, can Saint hear Joe's. everything. It's bad there. Uh several confessions here is kind of bad. Like you can hear father. So like it's not perfect here. Um also like if people can't speak English or something or they need an interpreter or like ASL or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. The interpreter is bound by the seal even if not That's a That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I mean that makes sense. Right. But I don't yeah. think I ever thought about so, that. It's interesting. Also, one of my favorite points of confession. Again, we could make a whole talk about confession, but we're keeping it short today. Um, renewed innocence. And so not mm-hmm. only innocence of of your spirit, but also of your body and mind. Um, and so your whole self is renewed into a perfect person. Um, and so all of the sins of your past literally don't matter. Yeah, it's going to impact the way you think. Like, you know, we're human beings. It's not like your past is gone, but you you should, through the power of confession, be able or more able to Resist. approach your past with the the idea that it's not something that pains you, it's something that you've grown from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, renewed innocence, huge power, confession, great. Next sacrament. Yes. Um, okay, so I feel like logistically we go straight into marriage. I um, feel like not. I know you want to say holy orders. No. You want to do anointing of the sick so, right now? So there are four sacraments we're talking about. Two are the sacraments of vocation, and two are the sacraments of healing. See, I would both feel like an order of life and death. <laughs> but both of these sacraments heal us, and oh, okay. also, and also, this one makes sense too. Anointing of the sick, you can receive more than once. So you um, can. Yeah. So okay, then let's go into anointing of the sick since yeah. he really wants to. Um, <laughs> obviously, I have no power, even though I was told that this show is mine. But it's fine. Um, <laughs> Chris, let's just clear the air. What is the anointing of the sick? Yeah, what is so the sacrament? Anointing of the sick. Um, confusing for those educated by people who had pre-Vatican II educations or were educated prior to the Second Vatican Council themselves. Go listen um, to our Vatican II episode. If we didn't really talk about this in the Vatican okay, II Okay, but they about it. <laughs> if you want to listen to your episodes, please go for it. Um, anyways, the, the point is uh, anointing of the sick is done when you're sick. And be that physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever... Uh, 
chronic illness, so so cancer, depression counts. Really, certainly. I didn't um, know that. You know, any number of of illnesses, terminal or not, um, uh, is the time that you receive anointing of the sick. Most commonly, of course, we think of anointing of the sick uh, in the time of death, at which point the person. Um, usually goes to confession, gets anointing of the sick as well, and also receives viaticum, the, the last uh, Holy Eucharist, the, the food for the journey, as it were. Um, and so uh, that's how we normally think of anointing of the sick, but I think we shouldn't. I think we should think of anointing of the sick as a healing sacrament for the physical self, uh, just like how we think of reconciliation as a healing sacrament for the spiritual self. But again, uh, the difference, I think, between the two is in reconciliation, we go to it for not only mortal sins, but we can also go to it for venial sins, and it's good and healing and powerful regardless. Um, in anointing of the sick, though, you go in chronic or terminal illness, but not for, like, if you get a scrape or cut or, like, I don't know, otherwise hurt yourself in some sort of minor <laughs> way. Like... I got a paper cut! You don't need anointing of the sick for that. Uh, In in some medium cases, probably don't merit uh, um, anointing of the sick either. But, like, like if you broke a bone, yeah, that's serious, but... Just remember your priest is probably busy. It's not going to haunt you the rest of your life. So, like, you don't need it in that case. But more extreme cases, uh, I think it's underused. Kind of like reconciliation. And honestly, with the broken state of the world, it's no surprise that... The two sacraments of healing are the two ones that are underused. Uh, that is retweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that way too much. So, okay, yeah, I did not know that you could receive it for depression. Like, that's very interesting. Um, but what is given and received within the sacrament? Because a lot of the, every single sacrament is receiving some type of grace, special grace from God. So, like, in the Eucharist, it's God himself. In reconciliation, it's grace. Like, what is it in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick? Yeah, it's it's much the same. It's just more grace from God. Um, and, and it's not, it doesn't always manifest itself in ways that we can see. Like um, healing. Like, it's, the anointing of the sick is not, the the philosophy of the church that if you receive this you'll be healed from your cancer no the, like yeah it can happen miracles do happen of course they do um, but also like no <laughs> like, yeah. um, but, but it like gives a... you strength it, it gives you courage yeah. um, I think to, to deal heal... with your illness or yeah. whatever it, it can heal you in some other way um, and and again, at the very least, at least you got some grace from it, even if not, um, physical you know, physical healing or, or emotional healing from whatever uh, trauma or, or thing that you're going through in your current life. I think that's a really good point with it can give you the tools that you need, like courage and strength. Um, God does not give you something that you can't get through with him, whether that be ending in death or life. Like we all are going to need what he gives us and offers us. So if there's a sacrament that can better strengthen you and better help you access those gifts that he's outstretched to you, why would you not? I mean, that's 
that that is very interesting. I don't think I I knew that you could use it that liberally. I think in my head it was like for major surgeries and like people who were dying. So that's actually really interesting. Yeah, I I think with the growing understanding of mental health being a significant concern that is in fact a threat to life. Yes. Like yeah, the anointing of the sick is warranted there. Um again, there is some middle ground. I think it's it's more liberal than most people realize in terms of its its usage or, or potential usage, but also um, shouldn't be like used all the time. Good in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> moderation and probably pretty strict moderation too. Um, but yeah, yeah, interesting. So, are we ready for the next segment? Are you done with? With the anointing of the sick? Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. I know your favorite one is going to be holy orders. Yeah, we'll save the best for last. Oh, whatever. We're going to save it for the people who are actually still listening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was good. So, I actually, you know, a bunch of questions about marriage. Because I think that is... An area in the world today that has, you know, the Quite secular a few questions going on with that. Yeah, the secular world has changed the way we view on it. So I think Christians and Catholics who are still trying to live by God's will are a little bit confused sometimes about, you know, what what this call to marriage is because it is a vocation and it is something that you're actually called to. So first off, what is marriage? defined as in the Catholic faith? Um, marriage is defined as the... Oh, I can't use the word in the definition. Um, <laughs> the, the marriage between... The, life, the lifelong covenant between a man and a woman to get each other to heaven. Yes. That's that's the best I can do on the spot here. Yes. I think that's a great definition. I think that's... Like, I'm pretty sure it's in the capsism somewhere. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's word for word, but it's, it's pretty good. It's the same idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, marriage is between a man and a woman. And we can get into more of that in an upcoming episode that I am planning with <laughs> controversial questions about the Catholic faith. But we're just going to establish right now that like that's what we're talking about. Um... So, yes, marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, we talked about in, um, what's it called? The last, no. Yeah. Was it the last episode? Yes. Mm-hmm. In the last episode, we were talking about baptism, about the promise that, you know, you make in your marriage sacrament, matrimony. your wedding and, vows. And <laughs> during the your wedding. The ministry of the sacrament is the couple, not the. Yes. Not. Anybody else? Yes. The couple does it. Yes, the couple does it. Um, What are the promises? They do it later that night. Oh! You. (laughs) That was a good one. I'm sorry. I had to do it. (laughs) I'm sorry to everyone. (laughs) I hope you put this in the bloopers. No, this is going straight (laughs) in the middle of the podcast. Oh, goodness. Anyways, we can get into that a little bit, but <laughs> let's talk about what I was going to talk about, which what are the promises that a man and a woman give to each other in that moment? 
Something, 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 something. I don't know. Can you tell that Chris is not called to marry life? Um, <laughs> what you know that you know the words that? No, I don't know the words. I was that. You're asking the question. Literally, literally, they don't even have the couple memorize it. It just repeat after me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I no. blank. Take you blank to be. Uh, but what is necessary for a couple? <laughs> what is necessary for a couple? to agree on and to be open to when they get married. Yeah, so um, the the base requirement here is consent, obviously, of both of them to do their vows um, and assuming they're free to give that consent so they aren't being coerced into it. They aren't, um, you know, under the influence of alcohol from partying too hard the night before. <laughs> Or, well, you laugh. But no, but it's true. It's it, very true. It's happened even here at St. Thomas More. And so, um, like, the the problem with such cases, it, it doesn't necessarily make the marriage invalid or anything. But It's not the truest um, form. It makes it nice and easy to get a, an, annulment. Um, an annulment. So... If you want an easy case for annulment, get drunk the night before you want. Uh, okay. I'm kidding. Don't This I'm is not, not advice from Chris. What, what was the question? <laughs> okay. Well, we talked about the promises. Basically, what I was trying to get out of Chris is uh, the kids? openness and willingness yeah. to raise children and to raise them in the faith. Um, which, yes. So, that is the purpose of marriage. That is what we're called to do through the sacrament of marriage. But now, since you brought up annulments... That was hmm. one of the questions. Um, divorce and annulments in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Explain. The Catholic Church um, does not believe in divorce. Um, and so you cannot get divorced in the Catholic Church. However, Unless. Um, <laughs> um, we have this thing called annulment. Which in the real world is like a divorce. And Just for self- certain sorts. Would you let me finish okay. and then <laughs> and then you can chime in with your thoughts that are wrong again? Oh! <laughs> I'm being mean today. Um, Someone sucks. So, uh, annulment happens when a marriage has been attempted, is the word that they use. You attempted to do the sacrament of marriage. But you failed. Um, but there was something that we realized after the fact was uh, not good. For example, uh, you know, like we said, the spouses were drunk the night, or one of them was drunk the night, or one of them was coerced into it for, I don't know, financial gain of their parents or something. That's, you know, a thing, especially back in the day. Um, Or one of them wasn't actually open to having children and, you know, entered into the matrimonial covenant uh, on the basis of a lie. And so in such cases, what happens is that the two people involved in the attempted marriage um, go and, and submit their stories to, to their pastor, who then sends them to the tribunal office at the diocese or archdiocese, and then a whole bunch of people get up there and debate whether or not the marriage, the attempted marriage was actually a marriage or not. Uh, most of the time, of course, nowadays, um, if you're doing that, they'll be like, yeah, it, it was not, in fact, a, uh, good, a valid marriage. Um, and so it wasn't actually a marriage. 
But the church says since both spouses thought it was a marriage uh, at the time, if they had any kids, the kids are legitimate. They aren't illegitimate because everybody thought that they were legitimate. Uh, you can't like illegitimize a kid after the fact. Um, and so um, that is the annulment process in brief. And then, of course, after the annulment, the person is free to marry because they've never been married in the eyes of the church. They had only attempted marriage uh, and failed. So um, it's yeah. like you're just like wiped clean. It's like a reconciliation. It, it's well, not really, because like it's saying that you never did it. It's kind of like because you weren't doing it. Under, it's kind of like right. if if uh, the priest said we baptize you and oh, you get baptized, yeah. and then they come back after the fact and uh, you see the video ten years later. <laughs> And, and see, say, oh crap! He said we baptize you, and you thought you were baptized. Or they say I'm gonna um, baptize you. Well, you're gonna get into that. The we baptize you, and then you're like, oh dang! I wasn't actually baptized. That baptism was attempted, but I wasn't actually baptized. Because you need the we, three we would believe, things. We would believe that God prevails through all of that, and you still got the graces associated with all your other sacraments you had since then even though you didn't actually have any other sacraments um, because you weren't baptized. Um, and so uh, through baptism, you know, the Lord works well. Um, and so, yeah, in the same way for marriage. That was the most roundabout way that I think <laughs> that came out. But yes, um, kind of in the same sense, I don't think you mentioned this, but like in the sense of abuse or if the person is married to someone else or any type of like false pretense where it was like you went into this marriage fully committed to this one thing and you find out that you know this person's abusive or this person is a murderer or <laughs> whatever it yeah. may be like you can bring it to the church no that's that's a great point you kind of said briefly there was if they're married to somebody else that's one of the easiest cases for annulments to occur is if one of the parties was married to somebody else, immediately it's annulled because they were married to somebody else. Yeah, like, you can't. I mean, it's very obvious. Um, the fact that that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other things, just a quick fun fact tidbit for you guys to know, um, a child is considered legitimate according to the Code of Canon Law if he or she is born six months after the wedding date. Um, which, as we know, the time for conception is nine months. So theoretically, you could have a legitimate child and uh, have sex three months before um, marriage. We are not condoning um, that, though. <laughs> we aren't condoning that. However, just know that your if child... you need a loophole... Your child is legitimate if you have a shotgun marriage. Anyways. Um, your child's going to be loved no matter what. <laughs> the church will welcome any children and will love The church will baptize no legitimate what. or not. Anyways... Chris is just really excited about this. Um, I think it's one of the funniest. You'll get a three-month leeway. It's one of the funniest loopholes. Although, nowadays, it's kind of not a loophole. Like, children are born super early, like, sometimes. So, it's not, and can survive. So, like, it's not really a loophole. That's just not, yeah, fact. your kid like, could actually like just survive outside Like, your kid could be born 
six months so I don't to three it, months premature. I don't think it was meant to be a loophole. I think it was probably them trying to be oh, receptive yeah, sure. yeah. of the children. Yeah, it would be awkward if they would be like eight months or whatever and some kid was born seven months and 30 days or something. They're like, ah, not legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> I realize eight, seven months and 30 days would be... I guess it depends on the way. Anyway, yeah, you um, back to marriage, which is what we were talking about. Um, kids are important. We kids are very important, especially in the sacrament of marriage. Um, which, if you haven't researched what kids' roles and all that is in the sacrament of marriage, you should definitely look into it. I think it'll give you a better respect for all of that. Um, but this is a fun one. We talked about, in the last podcast, about the three things necessary for a sacrament, one of them being intention. In the case of marriage, it was the only one that didn't need, like, a minister of the church. You know, like, obviously you need a priest to be a witness, but the sacrament is actually given between the man and woman in who are getting married. Mm -hmm. So, two questions. Does it have to be a priest to be a witness of the marriage? Were you giving me a second? I'm gonna do them one at a time. Um, Technically, if we want to talk about loopholes, um, there doesn't even need to be a priest. Interesting. Um, In the ordinary circumstance, you need a priest or deacon to be there to witness the marriage. um, You know, on behalf of the church, but. Uh, if, I don't know, you're on a stranded island or something and, you know, are faithful Catholics or whatever, but... To all of you you out there on a stranded island, you can get married. Okay, in a more practical situation and in a town, I don't know, in in South America where Where you don't have a priest come that often, you know, yeah, then you can get married even outside of the witness of the church uh, because... You know, you're you're qualified to get married. But you know, very interesting. Yeah. So, kind of going off this, you know, I don't know if you're on like wedding Instagram or Pinterest or anything. Oh yeah, you know me. <laughs> Some of us are. Oh, <laughs> um, like if every girl listening to the podcast is. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's very popular to have. You know, destination weddings, like on a beach or in the middle of a forest or on a mountain or, you know, let's just say not in a Catholic church. (laughs) What is the Catholics teaching on getting married outside of the Catholic church? Because technically you don't need a priest. So do you need the church? Um, This follows a similar vein of thought in that in the ordinary (laughs) circumstance... You have, if you are a baptized Catholic, you have to get married within the Catholic Church. So, um, for example, all of the people on campus here that were baptized Catholic, but have since fallen away from the church, for their marriage to be valid in the eyes of the church, they have to get married within the Catholic Church. If they do not, then their marriage is invalid and wrong. And that's how it is. Them, them's the rules, as they say. Um, because, no again, that. the church is the center of of our lives here on earth. You know, it's the closest we're going to get to heaven. And so why wouldn't we want to ground 
our lives, our future as as a couple in the church itself. And so um, to answer the question, in the ordinary circumstance, you're required to be married in a Catholic church. If there's something that goes differently, then yeah, you can get a dispensation. The only time you're going to get a dispensation for that is um, never. Like, there's one circumstance I can think of, um, and I'll explain that if I, if I can't think of any other circumstances off the top of my head. But, for example, if you want to get married in a Protestant church, that ain't happening. The church is not going to give you approval to do that because that's wrong. Um, if you're a baptized Catholic, again, uh, if if you're a Protestant, you know, get married in your Protestant church, I guess. I mean, please become Catholic, but um, get married Sound in your like Protestant church. Sound like a But, but um, if you want to get married on the beach, the church is going to give you a hard no. Um, you oh. are not going to get a yes to that. Um, so all the movies you see with the guy in the Roman collar at the the beach mass or the forest mass or or, or, or the wedding ceremony not mass like um, yeah that ain't happened um, what if so so to answer to give you the one exception to the rule that I've been holding out on for the past minute um, the one exception that you will always always get dispensation for is if you're getting married in the Orthodox Church because for the Orthodox. The penalty for them to not get married in their church is extreme. And that, um, so in the case that this would happen is you have one Catholic party and one Orthodox party. The Catholic church says you have to go to the Orthodox church. Um, you don't go to the Catholic church because what happens is the Orthodox church excommunicates. Oh. The spouse, if they don't get married in the Orthodox Church, and so um, with with our Catholic Church believing all the sacraments of the Orthodox Church are valid, their communion is valid. It would be wrong for us to separate somebody from communion from the Church and to deny what would be a valid marriage between two baptized, confirmed people of faith. Um, because again, we believe their sacraments are just as valid as our sacraments, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, the Catholic Church will always grant the dispensation to uh, get married in the Orthodox Church if one of the parties is Orthodox. So, um, Side that's more. that's your interesting. Um, if you're excommunicated in the Orthodox Church, are you excommunicated in the Catholic Church too, or is that up for debate? not not necessarily? So, for example. Um, I'd say for the most part, probably. Like, if you do something that merits excommunication of one of them, you probably did something that merits excommunication of <laughs> the other. Um, but, like, in the in that example, the Catholic Church, like, it's not like they have Would a database of excommunicated people and are, like, sharing it with one another. No. Um, <laughs> but, like, um, like, like, we would probably... I mean, we give Orthodox people, we would give them if they wanted to communion uh, whenever they came in because we believe they're baptized, confirmed people. So we would give them communion. Why wouldn't we? Um, so, uh, like early on when they first split, when the Catholic and Orthodox split from one another, 
they both excommunicated each other. The the patriarchs of both places excommunicated one another. Um, and so, Sounds... you know, uh, since then, um, the the Holy Father and the ecumenical patriarch have healed that excommunication by undoing it. Um, <laughs> Uno reverse card. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, short answer in, like, schism or heresy thing, then... Yeah, you're probably excommunicating them both. But if it's like a marriage, like a like a marriage thing or something stupid or minor, I mean, probably not. I I don't know. Excommunication is weird. Not part of this podcast. Um, so uh, in the next, consult a canon lawyer or a pastor or somebody more qualified than me. Yeah, let me get my canon lawyer on speed dial real quick. <laughs> like, who knows a canon lawyer? I don't know. Um, okay, well, that will be their, yeah, okay, preview to the next podcast, um, or future podcast, I don't know what order will come You only have a few more podcasts. I have a really bomb one planned, so, um, anyways, hate to break it to you ladies, we don't get to get married on the beach, but you can have a reception on the beach, or the mountain, or the forest. Have the reception wherever you want. Wherever you want, so you can still hold on to that dream. Uh, but church weddings are beautiful, so oh, yeah. go, ahead, go embrace, go embrace a church wedding. Plus, you might just get to see a little Chris there. Um, Is that supposed to be like what? Because you'll be a priest. Although, technically, I guess you don't have to be there. Um, you guys want to invite me to your wedding, so cool. Um, I don't My need grandma. to be paid either. As long as I'm paid in food, I'm good. I don't need money. Uh. <laughs> we'll work for bread. <laughs> um, anyways, speaking of Chris, maybe being there as someone more than a lay person, we're going to talk about your favorite topic. Why is, it my Why is it my favorite topic, Emma? We it no, this is season two, but we're gonna reveal it right here, right now. Okay, please. That was that was a that was a drum roll. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody knew that was a drum roll. Um, so as of the recording of this podcast, nothing is for sure, for sure. On March tenth at six forty-three <laughs> and fifty-five seconds. However, by the time this podcast will be released maybe question mark uh i will have likely been accepted as a seminarian for the diocese of columbus um i got notification today that basically it's a formality at this point but they still have to have the official okay please calm down so exciting. um that was so gross we're gonna have a party um but Basically, it's formality. They just have to have a few more conversation. Well, one more conversation <laughs> and sign one paper, and then it's official, um, which should happen sometime in this next week. And this podcast gets released six days from now. So if it doesn't happen, um, when or maybe it happens like Wait, what? this podcast gets released like a week in six days. Yeah, from I was like, now. so like it's definite. If he's it in, should, it should be like. If I'm probably a seminarian when you're listening to this, and you'll also probably have already known because it'll be like, if you know me, you'll know. Like everybody if, will know once 
It's but time. if he's not, <laughs> this send him a awkward. really nice, like, I hope you get better, because he's okay. not going to be in a well, good place. Well, when the, <laughs> when the vocations director literally says earlier Do you guys today, play Game Pigeon? Um, no. <laughs> when the vocations director says earlier today, we're looking forward to you becoming a seminarian with the Diocese of Columbus, that's about as close to being a seminarian as you're called false hope um, buddy <laughs> it'd be really brutal if he just like, actually know um, do you think i could get his number so i could plan like when he calls you to have like a party like right after it? no um because it's probably gonna happen over spring break because it's what are you going home for spring break? yeah um so anyways my point here is a few things um one um yeah, we'll talk more about the seminary stuff. That's the whole entire purpose of season three. Yeah. And we'll preface that more at the end of this season. Uh, but just something to be aware of um, as we talk about the segment of Holy Order. So Which is just Chris's yeah. favorite thing. Oh, wait. One more question about marriage. Can a Catholic marry a non-Catholic? Sure. Okay. See? There you go. Air cleared. Um, well, well let's, <laughs> let's be... Sure, asterisk, asterisk being you need dispensation to do so. You need to talk to a priest. Um, okay, now the question mm-hmm. that Christopher himself sent me. Actually, no, first we're going to preface what Holy Orders is. Chris, yeah. what is Holy Orders? Holy Orders is the sacrament um, the, the, the sacrament that makes a person uh, into the sacred orders of Diaconate, priesthood, and episcopacy. Um, the, the bishop. Um, you forgot some. Nuns, monks, brothers. Do you have to be ordained Sisters? to be a hermit? I don't think so. Well, so nuns aren't ordained. You take your vows, okay? <laughs> you take vows, you don't get ordained, you get consecrated. <laughs> Which is actually, it's the same which, thing. which for the record, let me be clear, uh, religious life, so there's tiers of like vocations. Oh, yeah. Marriage life is down here. Holy orders is like right Marriage above it. Marriage life is not and down. Then, and then, just and then the religious order. life is just like on top because, because, uh, religious life is the closest on this earth that you, you can get heaven. to being in heaven. Holy orders is pretty close. <laughs> Marriage. I mean, it's it's not as close. No. Um, debatable. You receive different things from different sacraments, but it's not debatable. The church teaches that. Chris is pulled in a different direction. So you're okay. saying that a nun is closer to heaven than you will be as a priest. Correct. Yeah. All the nuns out there, hold that over your priest friends. Oh, they do. <laughs> like, hey, I know you can like make. <laughs> Bread and wine into like the body and blood of Christ, but you know I'm closer to heaven on earth. So. Well, well, because of the vows that yeah, you and do so, vow your so so they to bow their, themselves to poverty. We're going to be poor in heaven. Mm-hmm. They bow themselves to chastity. There, we aren't going around making babies in heaven. <laughs> and and they vow themselves to obedience in that. Um, yeah, perfect. Or obedience to, to Christ and God's will, as as Emma said uh, it wouldn't let me finish it myself I just, she, I re- she was so excited we she finished each other's sentences sandwiches, sandwiches. that's sorry. what I was going to say <laughs> anyways um, one more side note before we get into this um, I was thinking about this during mass today it was really cool I was like 
I realize we're going to announce um, probably that I'm a seminarian on Laetare Sunday, which is like the Sunday of hope during the season of Lent. And so I'm like, if Lent is my discernment process, the first part of Lent before Laetare Sunday is my discernment. Mm -hmm. Laetare Sunday, the Sunday of hope is me getting in to seminary. The next week and the next few weeks are the highest point of Lent. The fifth week and Holy Week are the highest point of Lent. Severe uh, practices of prayer and fasting and the statues get covered up and the crucifixes get covered up because they're they're so deep. And so in a similar way in seminary, I'll be even more deeply discerning my vocation than I was at the beginning of Lent. And then it all culminates with Easter which is, of course, the, the, the Feast party. of the Resurrection, the biggest party equivalent to ordination, question mark? Stay tuned. Anyways, Lent, a story for my life? Maybe. Can Stay I get tuned. a God wink? Yeah, it was, it was a God, God wink. wink. It was a God wink. What God's winking. Um, um, he's pretty cool. So anyways, that, that was a cool thought I had. Let's get into holy orders. What do you have? Okay, so we talked about what it was, and I feel like for most people, if you don't know a lot about Holy Orders or about the process, tune in for season three to learn <laughs> a lot about, you know, what it means to be discerning, what it means to be applying, psych evaluations, and we're going to get into what it's like to be in seminary, and hopefully, you know, that'll all just continue throughout Christmas. Well, that's like season four. Okay, well... And I hope she's still around. We, we got four. we got renewed. <laughs> um, anyways, if you we can go into more of the logistics there. I think it's going to be better explained than what we can do in this podcast itself. But we can just ask fun questions. Yeah. For now, we're just talking about these are words. just fun questions. Yeah. Um, can a married man become a priest? What do you think? I think it's a gray area. <laughs> no, it's it's just a straight up yes. Um, so under, but not regularly. Can we just preface yeah, just that? Ra- not a yeah, regularly, married regularly married men can become priests. Literally, we're just stupid in the Latin, right? Um, sorry. Um, Chris just wants <laughs> to have his cake and eat it too. Let, he wants let the me, best of both let, worlds. Let me um, go about this in a, in a different sense, and so. Um, Married men can become priests. For much of the early church, that was basically the norm. However, never could a married man become a bishop. Um, And so there was always a need for a celibate priesthood because that's the way that people would become bishops is through the celibate priesthood. And so over the course of time and evolution, the church uh, had different traditions that formed out of it. And so the tradition in the East stayed that way. Both Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox still practice uh, Episcopal celibacy, but the norm there is that their priests are are married men and um, with the idea that they can relate better to congregations um, and, and minister to other families and people with marital problems. That makes sense, complete sense, of course. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church in the West, um, we have... Um, went to an all-celibate priesthood, uh, with exceptions for Anglicans and, and certain other people converting, uh, being a minister of another faith, into our own uh, with a strong desire for, for ministry, uh, particularly in the priesthood. 
Um, and so we we grant them the ability to do that. And so celibacy is something that is a discipline within the church. It's not a dogma. It's not a doctrine. It's a discipline. And so it's kind of low on the hierarchy things. If the Pope wanted to, he could get rid of it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but it's a good discipline. The church doesn't just come up with disciplines for fun. The church doesn't say you should abstain from me every Friday of the year for fun. Um, which it does, not just Fridays of Lent, throughout the whole year, because Fridays are always a penitential day. Um, and so um, it, it's been relaxed in the United States to the point where, you know, normally you would abstain from something else other than meat, uh, but do some other sort of penance on Fridays because Fridays are a penitential day. But the church has these disciplines because they're good for you. They make you a holier person and indeed uh, draw you closer uh, to what heaven is like. And so uh, if that is our goal, then that should be it. And therefore, celibacy, good. Um, but, you know, married men can become priests. I think that's also very interesting. I'm interested to see in the future, even within my own lifetime, or well, our lifetime, to see if that changes. And if it be because of the priest shortage. Mm -hmm. Not that there's, like, not priests, but... We're losing more than we're intaking. This is true. It, um, I'm the, curious to see if that changes. Yeah, there's been um, considerable debate over, you know, at the end of the day, um, the prevailing thought is that married men becoming priests is not the answer to the priest shortage. Yeah. Because it's not addressing the root problem. And yeah. so the church needs to address the root problem of the priest shortage, um, which, which quite frankly, is just society being society. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the church needs to just minister better to the people, to foster vocations. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, but, it I mean, it's possible that, that it changes in our lifetime, but I wouldn't count on it. I kind of hope it doesn't. But, well, sidebar... There might, there might be several priests that... Um, are not happy. Let's put it that way. That if if, if it, it changes, if it changes. Because they also also a thing I want to bring up, kind of sort of to re yes, related to what we were talking about, <laughs> um, married priests, is that in the East, it's not like married dudes just go out and and become priests. Although I'm sure that that does happen. The norm, which I think is is a great process. Um, is for four years, the man goes to seminary and learns his stuff in seminary. And at the end of that time, he reflects on his life and at that point decides, do I want to become a married priest or do I want to become a celibate priest? And so he discerns that, takes some time, finds the girl, whatever. Um, if is there that's a time what he wants to do. That? It's normally like two-ish years, usually. What if you don't find her? Um, but you don't get married yet. Oh, okay. And so, like, you, you just have to find the girl, you know. Um, and so, so, so then, easy, guys. So then they both go to school for several years. That's, I mean, and she so, would be a part of that marriage right. life. So, so she needs to be in tune with her faith as much as, they both have to be all in on this. Yeah. And so, uh, they both 
get schooled, basically. Um, and then they get married, like, at the end of the schooling process. And then a few months later, he gets ordained. And that's how it works. So it's a very intimate process where the so, wife is extremely involved. Um, so the married priesthood is not just... A, single priest checking a, out a, the girls at right. church. Yeah. Because <laughs> that um, would be, also, be honest, Also, weird. regardless of where you're at, once you are ordained, you cannot become married. It's... Anywhere in the world. Yeah. That's the rule. Just probably just End a of good discussion. idea. Um, um, yeah. Almost done. Um, Why did you have to say so? Sorry. Now I have now to, he has to edit it. Um, the one question Chris wanted me to ask... Can babies become priests? So let's talk about that. <laughs> also, um, um, I'm aware that I'm on a time limit. It's because you talk too much. Um, <laughs> so, I wish we had a word counter on <laughs> Okay. Because that we would be. Okay, you asked too many questions, okay? Are you fight- <laughs> Stop stalling! Stop right stalling! <laughs> okay, so uh, long story short, theoretically, Probably. Uh, a baby could be ordained. He it baptized Catholic male. Okay, three conditions met. He we have to be called, we though. Have, uh, oil. Um, <laughs> Bishop intends to, to, to make the guy a priest. It could happen. We uh, do not support it, though. Theoretically, it could happen. Why are you so excited about this? This is why you're not allowed to have a kid. Because I guarantee you, he's like, it's a boy. Where's the bishop? Let's make him a priest right now. Because I could so see you just immediately going straight for it and be like, he's a, like, that's so, could you imagine a toddler being in persona crusade? Like, yeah, that would be not be a interesting. Okay. Hey, like, I think they're out there still. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's not like the baby would just start saying mass and be like, <laughs> "Can't even say Baba Black blah, blah, blah. Sheep, the body of Christ." Like that ain't gonna happen. Like, he would have some schooling, but maybe by his teenage years. No, I am personally not in support of baby priests. That's cute. Anyways, as they would do you have any other questions about the Holy Order? I think that's where we're gonna wrap up. If you want to learn more about the Holy Order, stay tuned for our very exciting season three with Christopher Dixon. Um, but we'll talk a lot about Holy Orders then. Uh, but I think this was a good podcast. Yeah. Should I wrap it up? Yeah. You got a joke to wrap it up with? Well, I was going to do a joke. Okay. 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 okay, 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 okay. Hey, do you have any good jokes about married life? Yeah. What? Married life. <laughs> and that's the joke for today. Um, today on the podcast, we talked about the remaining four sacraments. We hope you enjoyed it. This is all for returning to tradition over and out. It's not good, but... <laughs> if it's not good, why are you laughing? Because it's the only one that's not about kids. Okay, come on. We're, you have to cut out all the kids stuff. Oh, no, we're <laughs> No, we're going to get canceled <laughs> so fast. Um, why are priests called father? I don't know why. Because it's too suspicious to call them daddy. <laughs> that one's not good. Um. Anyways, sidebar, this tastes so bad. Then why are you drinking it? Because I need it. No, you don't. But it tastes like no, you literal don't. You don't. Battery, you don't. battery acid. Need. Anyways. Like, why next would, question. this to me for $3. Next question. And then I spilt it on Next myself. question. Okay. Undo sidebar. Future Chris, sorry for the editing. 
<laughs> okay, 